have your Bible today, open up to the book of Matthew again. We're going to be in two different places in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. And after you found Matthew 5, hopefully you just kind of keep your bookmark there because we're going to camp out in Matthew 5 for, well, all of Matthew really for a while. Uh, at least the Sermon on the Mount. And then also Matthew 19. So if you find Matthew 19 and stick your bulletin in it, a piece of gum, uh, bookmark something in there so you can turn to it quickly later. Matthew 5. And Matthew 19. Now I preach today with kind of a heavy heart, and I do so because of the subject of the text. Now we're going to look at what Jesus says today about divorce. And I say that I have a heavy heart, but and I, I, I don't want you to misunderstand why. My heart is heavy because I know that divorce is an incredibly touchy subject, and I, I know it's a painful subject, but I'm, I'm concerned that somehow I might add to that pain. Uh, by being misunderstood somehow or, or something like that. I don't apologize for my sermon. I don't apologize for Jesus. I don't apologize for the Bible. I just hope nobody hears me in a way that I don't intend. Okay. Now, just like always, um, you know, I, I, I'm not here to cast any stones at anybody, and, and I don't think that I need to cite any statistics or, or any kind of numbers regarding the prevalence of divorce. We all know about divorce. Um, when I consider uh, a group this size, when I consider that people are probably going to listen to this online and through CD as well, I know that there are going to be people, be people that hear this that are in all kinds of different relationships, maritally speaking. There are going to be people that are single, people that are married happily so, people that are married unhappily so, maybe they're considering divorce uh, in, in their own lives, people who are... Uh, divorced and not remarried, people who are divorced and remarried, uh, there are all kinds of situations regarding divorce. And, and so I know that, uh, again, everybody's in a situ different situation, and, and probably everybody has been affected by divorce in some way. People in the family, have you been through a divorce? Your parents have been. We all know the pain that divorce causes. And like I said, I'm not here to cast any stones. Um, and I don't believe personally, and I don't believe that the Bible teaches that folks that are divorced are second-class Christians. They're not off limits. They're not outside the grace of God. And I say that specifically because in, if you look throughout history, we as the body of Christ have not had a real good uh, record concerning divorce. And I'm not talking about uh, our divorce rate concerning those outside the church. I mean, in the past, uh, churches have seen divorce almost like an unforgivable sin, but it's not. Now, having said that, Jesus makes some very stark statements that are not in step, not in keeping with today's culture, and, and they're kind of uncomfortable. Uh, but I'm not going to sidestep what Scripture says. Now, the principle that Jesus lays down is this. He says it very explicitly, but this is kind of the core message. What God has joined together, let no man separate. What God has joined together... Let no man separate. If you don't get anything else out of this sermon, remember that phrase. What God has joined together, let no man separate. If you found Matthew 5, would you please stand in honor of God's word? And we're going to pick up reading in verse 31, and then we're going to turn over to chapter 19. In verse 31, it says, And it was said, and Jesus is speaking here, Whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You can keep your place there, but uh, turn over to Matthew 19 if you
would. In Matthew 19, we'll pick up in verse 3. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it has not been this way. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, as I told you, when we started this section on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we started the first part of Matthew 5, and we're working our way. Now, I'm going to try to deal with every verse in the Sermon on the Mount because uh, the, the text of Matthew reads like this is what he taught his disciples over and over and over. So in Matthew 5, we get kind of uh, an encapsulated version, abbreviated version, the kernel, if you will, of Jesus' teaching on divorce. But we're going to spend more time in Matthew 19 because he gives a fuller treatment of the topic there. Now, in Matthew 19, you notice that some Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him about divorce. Now, that was a thorny question back then, just like it is today. And I think it's significant when they come up with this question. Because Matthew 19 is getting pretty late in, in the book of Matthew. Jesus is getting near the end of his earthly ministry. And so what were they doing at the end? They were doing everything they could to try and get people to turn against Jesus. And so they came up with this question... Uh, to, to try and get him to say something that would make people mad. And what better way to make people mad than to talk about divorce? And, and if you'll notice in verse 3, it says that they came to Jesus testing. Your Bible may say tempting him. In other words, they didn't care about the truth. They didn't care what Jesus had to say. They were there to try and get him in trouble with people. They're there to try and get him to say something so they could accuse him. They said, what about divorce? Now, some insightful person has well noted they asked their own question. They said, Jesus, what about divorce? And Jesus essentially says, the real question should be, what about marriage? What about marriage? Now, that's the correct place to start because any discussion of divorce that does not include God's plan for marriage is really an incomplete discussion. Now, Jesus does something interesting in chapter 19 because he doesn't talk about marriage being... The, strong, uh, the basis for a strong family and society, though it is. He doesn't talk about how uh, the marriage relationship mirrors that of Christ and his church, though it, it does. He doesn't start with any of that. Instead, he points him back to the book of Genesis. He points him back to God's original plan for marriage and creation. And he looks at the prototype marriage of Adam and Eve. Now, Jesus reminds them of something they should already know, and that is that God has showed us his plan for marriage, look at, look at uh, verse 4 again. Well, verses 4 and 5. Jesus gives them three simple parts to God's plan for marriage. One man, one woman, one lifetime. Now, that simple formula rules out all manner of perversion that we see today. One man and one woman. That means it's not one man and one man. That means it's not one woman and one woman. It's not one man and multiple women. It's not one woman and multiple men. It's not uh, a man or woman and anything else besides 
one member of the opposite sex. And if you notice in verse 5, another element of, of God's plan for marriage is leaving and cleaving. He says, for this reason, he's quoting Genesis, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You're, if you're reading the King James, he, he says he shall cleave unto his wife. Now Jesus, is, what, what is he saying? He's saying that the marriage relationship between a man and a woman is deeper, is more intimate, even than that of a, of a parent and a child. Now that's not to, uh, that, that means that, that when a man or a woman gets married uh, to another person, they should leave their father and mother. A lot of people don't do that, especially today, and that causes a lot of marital problems. They don't cut the apron string, so to speak. But they're, they're, they're supposed to be relating to their parents in a new way. That's not to say they don't still love them, because they do. And, and they still should honor them. But they should leave their father and mother. Now, that's only half the process, because you'll notice he also talks about, in verse 5, 2, becoming one. He shall cleave unto his wife. Now, the, uh, the, the Hebrew word that's, that's used in the book of Genesis has the idea, in, where it's translated as cleaving, has the idea of gluing together. It, 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 like if you glue wood or paper together, that glue is often the strongest part. For instance, if you glue two boards together, before they were two, you glue them together, now they're one, and if you apply sufficient pressure, if you apply sufficient pressure, usually one of the boards is going to break before that bond does. And, and that's really a picture of, of marriage. That's why divorce is so messy. Because it's like, if you take two pieces of paper that have been glued together and you try to pull them apart, there's not a clean break. Because when you do that, part of one uh, uh, piece of paper is going to stick to the other over here and then down here another piece of paper is going to stick to that one. It's kind of like when you open an envelope, you can't tear it straight across usually because that paper sticks to the other paper because of the glue. And and that's why that's what happens in marriage. And if you've ever uh, been through a divorce, if you know somebody that's been through a divorce, you know that it's never a clean break. No matter what's happened, it's not a clean break. And we can all tell stories of how messy it can be because it's always painful because there's a tearing. There's rending, just like that paper being ripped apart. Why? Because Jesus says the two have become one flesh. Now there's an aspect of that when this, this happens when the marriage is consummated, but that's not primarily what's in view. What is mainly in view, and I don't want to sound all, woo, you know, mystical, you know, spooky or whatever, but something happens when people get married. Some, God in some mystical way joins those two people together, and the two become one in his eyes. A new unit is created. So marriage then is more than a social contract, as it's often thought to be. Marriage is more than a piece of paper. It's more than a state-sponsored relationship. Marriage has a spiritual aspect as well. So these men try to get Jesus in trouble with folks on this issue of divorce, and Jesus says, you know what, guys? You're asking the wrong question. God doesn't want divorce. In fact, the book of Malachi says that God hates divorce. The real question isn't God, what is God's desire for divorce. The question should be, what is God's desire for marriage? And, and in that, what he says in verse 8 because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. In other words, God didn't want this to begin with. So what's Jesus' conclusion? Verse 6. What God has joined together, let no man separate. In other words, one man, one woman, one lifetime. Now everybody can probably say, yeah, I can go along with that. That is the ideal. 
But let's face it, we don't live in an ideal world, do we? We live in a world where, where people do ungodly things, divorce happens. So, so what, what is Jesus' view here? Well, he puts them in their place. He says, you know what? God didn't want that to happen to begin with. And they said, well, now, teacher, what about what Moses said? Why did Moses then command divorce if that's not what God wanted? And here's where they begin to go wrong because in what they're referring to is Deuteronomy 24 where Moses permitted, not commanded, permitted them to divorce. So what's going on? According to verse 8, divorce was a concession because of the hardness of the people's hearts. Let's back the train up a little bit. God's plan for divorce, Adam and Eve, one man, one woman, one lifetime. Everything's good in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't too long after that, just a few generations, that we had the first polygamist recorded in the Bible, a man by the name of Lamech. Now, from that point on, things went downhill regarding marriage. Now, by the time of Moses, marriage had really slipped into low regard. They gave good lip service to a high ideal of marriage, but they didn't live it out uh, in their lives. And so in an effort to stem, the tide of, uh, to stem the tide of divorce, Moses laid down this rule in Deuteronomy 24, and it really had two parts, and they were, it was meant to slow down divorce and really protect uh, the, the victim of divorce, who in that case were women. They basically had no legal rights. The first safeguard, if you look at verse 8 again, or, sorry, verse 7, they, they had to give a certificate of divorce and send her away. Now, actually, it's, it's not quoted here, but, but in Deuteronomy 24, the reason that the only reason that was permitted under this law, under this rule, was some indecency in the wife. And then the second safeguard was, was mentioned in verse 7. He had to write out a certificate of divorce. In other words, he had to sit down, think through why he was doing this, put it on paper. This was a protection to keep him from losing his temper and just kicking around the street. So the question became, in Deuteronomy 24, he can, he can divorce his wife because of some indecency. The question then is, what is indecency? By the time of Christ, there were two main, uh, two main camps, two main uh, ways of thinking about this. There was the camp of Shammai. He was a rabbi. and He said the only reason that Moses could permit a divorce was because of marital unfaithfulness, infidelity, adultery. They said, you know, if somebody gets uh, divorced for another reason, that's bad, but they don't, they don't have a problem with remarriage. The other camp was a guy named Hillel. They're more liberal, and they said that a man could divorce his wife for any reason at all, even if she ruined his food. So wives, women, if you were living back then, and th these, are, these are reasons that they came up with, if you burned your wife's or your husband's toast, he could divorce you. If you put too much salt in his food, he could divorce you. Um, if you were quarrelsome or you talked bad about his parents, he could divorce you. One later rabbi went so far as to say that this whole, if she didn't find favor in his eyes, that if he saw someone more attractive than you, he could divorce you to marry her. Now you can probably guess which camp most people went into. The real strict camp or the real liberal camp? Well, it's the real liberal camp because that's, that's the easy way. Even the, the Pharisees who are usually strict, they went to that, that liberal camp. So they said, can a man divorce his wife, in verse 3, for any reason at all? 
So Jesus, in his customary way, he cuts through all this junk that culture had come up with, and he leads them back to God's ideal. One man, one woman, one lifetime. The only reason divorce was even permitted in the first place was because of the hardness of people's hearts, but that was never God's intention. So what is Jesus teaching on divorce? Let's get down to it. It's, it's very simple. Don't get divorced. Don't get divorced. What God has joined together, he says in verse 6, let no man separate. There's one exception to that, and that is if one of the parties is unfaithful. And again, he mentions women specifically because in that culture, men's were, men were the only ones who could initiate divorce. But this applies to men and women this, uh, just the same. So what is, this, uh, what is this exception? Because my Bible in verse 9 has the word immorality, and in another place it has the word unchastity. Depending on your translation, it may render it uh, differently. The word that's used is the word, uh, the root, uh, porneia. It's the root word that we get our word pornography from. And what that word means, it means an indecent act. It refers broadly in the Bible to uh, fornication, which would be like premarital sex, adultery, which would be extramarital sex. Um, it, it, would it would apply to incest, homosexuality, bestiality, just about anything indecent outside the bonds of marriage this word covers. Now, I want you to notice uh, just a few things just by way of observation. This is the only reason Jesus gives for a divorce and remarriage. Even when it is allowed, is it commanded? No. The reason for that is because uh, the goal, especially as Christians, the goal is always reconciliation and restoration. So according to Christ, with one exception, divorce is a sin. Now, that's a hard stance but that's what Jesus teaches. But, Je but Jesus goes even further. He makes the natural application of this and, and a conclusion. Because when people married, he said, the two become one in the eyes of God. If a person is unfaithful in that marriage relationship, they have broken that bond. And so therefore, divorce and remarriage is acceptable. But on the other hand, if a divorce happens because of another reason... We, today we say irreconcilable differences or whatever. If a divorce happens and remarriage happens, it's adultery in the eyes of God. Why? Because the two are still one. Now, said another way, it's possible to have a divorce that the state recognizes, but God does not. So, that is a very high view of marriage. But it comes from Jesus. So who are we to argue with it? Now, there are some people who understand Scripture to allow for divorce and remarriage in one other case, and that, that's uh, for desertion. And if you look at, uh, you can just jot this down, we're not going to uh, delve into it a lot, but uh, it, it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is applying Jesus' teaching on marriage and, and divorce and remarriage and all that to some different situations. And in 1 Corinthians 7, 15, he says this, Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. Now, we don't have to exa examine this passage in detail, but here's my understanding, and I spent a long time studying it. <laughs> here's my understanding. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is applying the teachings of Christ, and he says, whatever situation, this is kind of my summary, whatever situation a person finds himself in, be a good Christian in that situation. And don't try to make a drastic change and blame it on your faith. 
So the way he applies to this is like this. He says, if you're married, don't get divorced. That should sound familiar. That's what Jesus said, right? If you're married, don't get divorced. Stay married. If you're single, stay single. Now, he, he goes on to say the, the reason for that is because if you're single, you can devote yourself fully to God and, and His work and His plan. But if you're married, you have a lot more trouble doing that because you're trying to please your spouse and if you have family obligations and stuff like that. He says marriage is still good, but he says I would have people be like me if, if, they had the, if they had the choice. In verse 11, Paul says if there is a divorce, if one leaves the other one, stay unmarried. Again, that should sound pretty familiar. That's what Jesus is teaching. Then in verse 15... Paul presents us with a situation where two people have gotten married. Evidently at the time they're both unbelievers because he says elsewhere you should not be unequally yoked. You shouldn't have a believer marrying an unbeliever. So evidently these are two people who are unbelievers. They get married. One of them becomes a Christian after they say, I do. Now God changes us after we become a Christian. And in the process of that, evidently one of these, one of these people, the one who got saved, the one who became a Christian, their life has changed so much that the unbeliever doesn't want to have anything to do with them anymore. And they, they essentially issue an ultimatum saying, you can stop living like a Christian or else I'm out of here. <coughs> and Paul says we're not in bondage to such cases. And I understand that to mean we're not bound to deny the faith in order to keep our husband or wife. If they're intent on leaving and they say the only way that I will stay is if you stop living like a Christian... Paul says, let them leave. Because our, our marriage relationship is important, but it's not as, as important as our relationship with Christ. Now, that's my take on it. Some people uh, agree with that. Some people don't. Some people uh, go so far as to say there should never be any remarriage, ever, even, even in the case of adultery like that Jesus was talking about. But in this case, Paul allows for divorce, but notice he never gives an okay for remarriage, and that would be consistent with Jesus' teaching. So what do we make of all this? A lot of stuff, right? And I know I've, I've talked a lot. Let's summarize it in bullet form, I, and maybe that would be just the easiest. Number one, marriage is a good thing. It's ordained by God. God is for it. If you're married, stay that way. If you're single, that's good too. And we don't, I mean, that's a whole other topic, singleness being a gift of God and and we're not going to have time to get into that today. But marriage is a good thing. So if you're married, stay married. If you're having troubles, work through them. Divorce should not even be an option in your mind. Number two, if you are divorced for a reason other than adultery on the, on the other person's part, don't get remarried as long as the other person is alive. The only caveat to that would be if they have maybe moved on and married somebody else, then the whole immorality thing uh, in Matthew 19 would come into play and then you'd be free to remarry. If you have divorced for a reason other than unfaithfulness and you have remarried, Jesus said you've committed adultery. Now, there's no way to soften that. And I'm not going to try because that's what he said. But you know what? Adultery is not some special sin that's outside the grace of God. God will forgive you if you'll repent of that, and you might need to do that today. Now, I know there's a, a school of thought out there that says, well, if you get married after you've been divorced for a, a non-biblical reason, 
you're living in adultery. I don't see that in Scripture. I, I think that if you get married, it would be the same as committing adultery. I, I, I just don't see it in Scripture of living in adultery. And just like any other sin, repent of it and move on. Uh, if you have been deserted by an unbelieving spouse and they insist on divorce, Paul says divorce is permissible. But again, remarriage is not while they're still living or until they marry somebody else. And number five, if you've been unfaithful or if your spouse has been unfaithful, there's forgiveness for that. Our goal as Christians should always be reconciliation and restoration. Now, the marriage is never going to be what it was, but there can be healing. Now, of course, you're probably thinking, oh, but what if? Right? We always come up with a hypothetical. I don't have time to go into all the all the what-ifs. And even if I did, I wouldn't have all the answers. But here are just some practical things. Divorce is painful, no matter if it was for a biblical reason or an unbiblical reason. Divorce hurts. And, and maybe you're going through a situation, maybe you know somebody that is going through a situation, maybe you need to pray for healing for yourself, for that person. Be there for them. If you've been through some situation, God says essentially don't waste your pain. And and if uh, uh, if you've been comforted in some way, be that comfort to somebody else who's going through a similar situation. If you're divorced because of adultery on your spouse's part, that's that's a double tragedy because you have the pain of divorce, but then you have the pain of the adultery, and it's, it's like a one-two punch. But if you are divorced because of that, and and, and even if you've remarried, you haven't sinned. That's that's what Jesus said. You're not some Christian pariah. It's not like you're outside the the bonds of or the bounds of God's grace. Continue to ask God for for, for for healing as you need it, but don't let it sideline you in your faith. Don't let it. Uh, don't use that as an excuse to sin yourself either, because it's easy whenever somebody wrongs us in some way, whether it's in in this situation or any other situation. It's easy. To use somebody else's behavior to justify our behavior, isn't it? It's easy to say, well, they did this, so I'm going to do that. Well, if it was wrong for them to do it, it's wrong for us to do it too. If you're divorced for non-biblical reason and you've never dealt with it, do that today. And again, I'm not saying you should go out and get a divorce again or something. I'm just saying there's grace and forgiveness at the cross. If you're having troubles at home, commit with your spouse to strengthen your marriage. Commit to not not even consider the idea of adultery, uh, of, adultery of, of divorce. Commit to working on saving your marriage. Folks, divorce is some real stuff. And again, maybe you just need to pour that out to God. Because, you know, the Bible says that, that we need to cast our cares and our burdens on the Lord because He cares for us. If you're in a good marriage, then you, you need to thank God for that. You need to thank God for it because a good spouse is, is hard to come by. Ask Him to protect your marriage, to strengthen it. Pray for your spouse. If you have an unbelieving spouse, lift them up and pray for them. Pray that God would bring them to Christ. But whatever position you find yourself in today, realize you cannot go back in time. It would be nice if we could. It would be nice if we could go back and, and uh, unring the bell to put the toothpaste back in the tube and have a do-over. But we can't. 
but we can be faithful to God. We can be faithful to our spouse right where we are. Just live the Christian life, whatever situation you find yourself in. Serve the Lord. Now, obviously, that's that's kind of a, a thorny issue. But, you know, even, even speaking about marriage and divorce and remarriage, maybe God has laid on your heart that you need to be saved. You've never done that. You've never accepted Christ as your Savior. Today is a good day to do that as well.